Good morning. That was awesome. First time. I am uh, love that song. Just continually reminding that no matter what my circumstances, God is at work to make me more in the image of Christ, His Son, and that's always encouraging. And it's also encouraging to meet today, today. I couldn't wait to say that. Thank you today. It is good to have you with us for sure. And what about that video, Edward? That was powerful as well. So let's continue uh, worship this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're making our way through this book. Uh, We've preached the first two chapters, and we start this morning with verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. Let me ask you a question, though, as we start. I want you to think about when you hear what I'm about to tell you, I want you to think about what you think about, okay? So, when you hear the words Scottish and Irish, somebody said Monty, right? Nazi and Jews, Muslims and Hindus, blacks and whites, Hutu and Tutsis, Christian and Muslim, Israeli and Palestinian. Since we're in Tennessee, we'll say Hatfield and McCoys. Since it's college football season, Tennessee and Alabama, Ohio State and Michigan. And for the sake of my friend and teaching partner, Monty Waldron, Oklahoma and Texas. I didn't even say Clemson. Clemson in South Carolina. I had to. <laughs> Man, you got to think when you hear those two words together through that list, you got to think words like enemies, hatred, rivalries, conflict, revenge. I mean, and when we look at those ethnic groups that hate each other, it's gone on for years and years and years. But there's been no one in the history of this known world that has hated each other more than the Jews and the Gentiles. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago for a quick reminder, the Jews considered the Gentiles to be outsiders, and they were at the time, but they were they took it to another level and they called them the heathen heathens by the Jews. And a Jew would not enter a Gentile's home, nor would he eat with them, nor eat food prepared. By them. They called them Gentile dogs. Again, the famous rabbi prayer was, I thank God I am not a Gentile. The people of God, the Israelites, rightly so, they remembered their unique status with God to be set apart from the Gentile world. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll make you famous. They remember that part, but they forgot completely the back end of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Israel was supposed to be a missionary nation, and their mission field was the Gentile world. They were to be conduits to a lost world, and instead of being humbled by God's great call on their lives and his grace to them. They became entitled, 
and arrogant, and we could go on and on and on. Paul has to address this hatred between Jews and Gentiles, and the reason it's so important is the future, literally the future of the church is at stake. And the key to dealing with this mess and unpacking this mess is what is known in our text this morning as the mystery of the church. Now, what is the mystery of the church? Paul actually told us that back in Ephesians 2, 15b through 16, when he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, two being Gentile and Jew, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So he has gone over that in great detail in chapter 2. So why in the world would he do it again? Well, we're going to see as we look at the first three words of chapter 3. Move with me here to the prayer of the mystery. Look at uh, verse 1a, I put it, the first three words. It says, for this reason, for this reason. I just want you to know from my own study this week, or actually last week when I was reading this passage to get it in my mind, I thought, Monty gave me this vanilla passage, bless his heart. It doesn't say too much. It's just sort of a setup for all the good stuff he gave himself as he gives the stuff. And, uh, and I thought, man, at a closer reading, I found out that's not true. And it's not true because this is why context and historical context is so important as we understand what is really going on in the text. So notice with me in verse 1, Paul starts with that phrase, for this reason, which immediately makes us ask the question, question, for what reason, which then takes us backwards typically. And where we go backwards, we find Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that Monty and I took two weeks to preach those texts. Is that right, two or one? I can't remember. I don't even know my name this morning. I know today's name. So, so in those 11 or 12 verses, Paul laid out historically how God had poured out his grace upon the Gentiles. Since 2,000 years from Abe to the time of Christ, God's blessings were typically, typically for the Jew. It was restricted to the Jew. And as the text told us, the Gentiles were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world until we get this glorious, remember in 2.13, that says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, that is, in Christ God created one new man in the place of two, this new race, if you would have it, these two, Jew and Gentile, coming together to be Christians. So, What's happening here is when Paul says, for this reason, he is about to pray. How do I know that? Go down to verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he goes into this long prayer of Jews and Gentiles living out the gospel with each other, living out the mystery of the church. And so what he does here, it's as if he starts to pray for this reason, and he stops dead in his tracks, and he thinks, they don't understand this enough yet. Yes, I just wrote it in chapter 2. But I've got a pause here, which he does. It is a parenthesis 
in some ways of verse 2 to verse 13 where he explains and unpacks again this mystery of the Jew and Gentile two becoming one. And then he picks up his prayer as we see in verse 14. It's really remarkable and he understands more than anyone how crucial it is that they get it. Paul's goal, remember, is for unity in the church, and he knows if the church, the, those the Ephesians and other churches in the surrounding area that get this letter, if they don't get this mystery of the church, man, we're not going to go very hard. He also knows this is a hard truth for the Jew and Gentile both, especially the Jew to swallow, because the Jews, for a Gentile to convert let me put it this way, for a Gentile to convert to Judaism, which is what Jews were familiar with, they're fine with. But for a Gentile salvation without converting, converting to Judaism to a Jew, that was a huge problem. It also would mean, if this is true, if the Jew accepted that, it would mean a complete dismantling of Israel's theocratic kingdom. So Paul thinks, man, there is more clarity that needs to be done. So for this reason, the prayer of the mystery, and then secondly, the prison of the mystery. Look at verse one through four. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again, it sort of seems vanilla until you know some historical context, which we're going to try to go over this morning. So Paul now, as you can see, he reminds the Ephesians, that he is in jail, he says, on their behalf or because of the Gentiles or to put another way, because of his teaching on the mystery of the church. Exactly what he is about to unpack and what he is at, has unpacked and written in chapter 2 is the exact reason that he is in jail. So he puts it that way on your behalf. Now, the council culture that we're so familiar with today for speech has been around a long time, and it was true in Paul's day. This idea of Jew and Gentile being in unity was so hard for the Jews to accept, they actually had Paul arrested for saying such. Let me take you down a little bit of a memory lane, and this is where it got interesting and encouraging for me this week as I studied Paul, as you know, and some of you will know, some of you won't, just follow me here. Paul was a high-level Jewish Pharisee before he encountered the living Christ on the road to Damascus, I believe in Acts 7. Is that correct? My good there, Rob, did his eyes? Yes. And in that position of authority, he had been given complete power to arrest and torture and oversee the murders of those Jews who had come to Christ and embraced this teaching of Jew and Gentile being one in Christ. 
He was the hatchet man in some ways of the persecution. He gave the thumbs up or the thumbs down. His evil reputation was so bad, news spread back to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and he's, they, it scared the heebie-jeebies out of them. After three years, just this timeline, God sends Paul to the Arabian Desert for a little bit of a timeout and to, to get to know Christ in a real and powerful way, to do some work in his life. So now it's been three years since he was persecuted, and the Jews in Jerusalem are still terrified of him, and he hadn't been, uh, yeah, he hadn't persecuted anyone in over three years. So what Paul does, all this is in the book of Acts, Paul sends his trusted friends and uh, named Barnabas, who was trusted by the Jews, to sort of soften and, if you would, reassure the Jews that Paul was good and safe and his salvation was real. Paul then goes in Acts 15 to give a report to the Jewish council that there is indeed salvation for the Gentiles without a Gentile having to become a Jew. So this one new man, or we'll call it the mystery message, first came from when Paul was on the road to Damascus. That's when the living Christ told him, I am sending you to sending you with this message to what? The Gentiles. And that's why verse 3, and we'll get deeper in it in a minute. Verse 3 says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Yes, someone didn't teach Paul. It came directly from Christ himself. And again in Acts 26, when Paul is telling his salvation story, he says he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Now he defends this message of unity between the Jew and the Gentile, not only here in Ephesians, he defends it in Galatians and he defends it in Philippians as well. But it's a hard, I, I can't even describe to you, unless I'm given a lot more time, how hard it is for the Jews to believe and accept this message in light of the tapes they had playing over and over. Just think about something that's been hard for you in light of lies that were told you or things that were told you when you were growing up. It's hard to move past that, and that's what's going on here. So moving forward in the book of Acts, Paul, uh, on one of his missionary journeys, he's in Antioch. And while he is there, he takes up money from Christians to take to Jerusalem for Jewish Christians who were both poor and persecuted. And obviously, there's hope there that this will soften the tension between the Jewish Jews and the Gentiles. Acts 21.7, Paul is in Jerusalem, and some Jews see him, and the text tells us, this stirred up the whole crowd, and they laid hands on him. And I can promise you, they were not doing ordination, okay? Verse 28, they lied about what Paul was teaching, and he is accused of bringing Gentiles into the inner part of the temple, which was forbidden. And he actually didn't do that, but the text says they assume that he did. And we all know what happens when we assume, right? Now, all of Jerusalem, the text continues to tell us, is in an uproar. 
riots are starting all over this mystery message of the church. And remember, this is about Gentiles being saved in Christ without having to convert to Judaism. And also remember, people rage, me, you, anyone. When we rage, there's a lots of fear about losing something, and the Jews were afraid of losing their status as God's only people. They didn't get it. Verse 30 in Acts 21 says they dragged Paul out of the temple. Verse 31, they're seeking to kill him. Verse 32, Roman soldiers came to keep the peace and actually had to stop the mob from beating Paul to death. Verse 33 tells us the Roman soldiers, not knowing what happened, they were confused. Everybody was screaming. They actually arrested Paul. They had been told that Paul had started a riot. Verse 35, the crowd was so violent, the soldiers had to carry Paul through the crowd so he wouldn't have his limbs ripped off his body. It is intense. So when Paul says to those who are reading Ephesians, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf, he ain't lying. <laughs> that is exactly why he is in jail. This mystery of the church message was why he was there. And then if you want to do some reading this week, it's really fascinating. Acts 21 through 28, Paul goes through the hearings with the Roman government officials, Agrippa, Festus, and Felix, and is in a Roman prison for the last six out of eight years of his life. Why? Because he was committed to preaching and teaching this mystery message of unity in the church between Jew and and Gentile. And in some ways, Paul was just following the heart of the Lord Jesus himself. As Jesus says in John 17, that his people may all be one just as he and the Father are one. And verse 4 tells us in Ephesians 3, he really desired with great passion that the Ephesian church understood this great news. Look what he says. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of the church. Man, that's why he's doubling down on it. That's why he stops. He starts to pray, gives a parenthesis for more detail and clarity, and picks up this prayer that this would be lived out between Jew and Gentile Christians. Now, the first thing I thought of was, was an Old Testament, just how my mind works. I've always loved the book of Jonah. It was, uh, in all confession, it was the first book that we did Hebrew exegesis from a Hebrew text in seminary, and, and Jonah 1 just slapped me in the face because of my own personal life, but it's also because I've given about 50 uh, pro and college uh, football chapel messages unit using chapter 1. Matter of fact, when I'm going to speak at one, my kids will say, you're going to preach Jonah 1? And I go, yep. And they said, yep, there's a Jonah in this all. They literally can give it word by word. So, but I thought of Jonah. I'm familiar with Jonah. And I thought, hearing this, how I now understand better Jonah's hatred for the Gentile Ninevites. It's one thing to hate a people. 
It's one thing to not like someone and not want to be around them. Like, we get that human struggle. But Jonah's like, I don't even want their souls to be saved, let alone be with them. He hated them. He's so angry about the Gentiles being saved. He wanted to die. The animosity was profound. And that's the way it was. That's why Paul is really getting after this mystery of the church message. So we have the prayer of the mystery, the prisoner of the mystery, and now the planning of the mystery. Let's look at verse 5. Let me read verse 4 and then and, and 5. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So let me give you a little reminder here. When Paul uses the term mystery, okay, he's not talking about uh, Angela, what's her name, and murder she wrote? Who? Yeah, she just died this week. My wife loved watching that show. He's not talking about murder she wrote and solving some case. He is talking about, in this context, a truth that has always been true, but that had never, ever been revealed before, not in the Old Testament, not to the angels, to no one until the New Testament age arrived. Here specifically, it refers to this. God's revelation or disclosure of something that formerly was hidden until such a time as this. And such a time as this is now, post-resurrection Christ, the age of the church. So this truth of Jews and Gentiles' oneness was not clear in the Old Testament. Uh, now, just for clarity, it's not to say that the Old Testament did not speak of Gentiles being saved. It certainly did. We spoke, I mentioned uh, Genesis 12, 3. You can write that down. Read Genesis 22, 18, that God would, as I said earlier, bless the nations through Israel. Psalm 72, 17 also tells us the Gentiles who actually one day bless God for their salvation. Isaiah 49, 6 speaks specifically of Gentile salvation in the fairly familiar passage, I think, of Joel 2, and it's when it says, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind. So yes, the Old Testament is clear that God will save Gentiles, and we certainly know he has, because I think we're all Gentiles in here, Amen. But it never, here's what it never does, it never talks about Jews and Gentiles being one body or a fusion with each other. Or as theologians use the term double union, that they are in union with Christ and they are in union with each other. It never speaks of that. That is a mystery that was hidden throughout the entire scripture until Acts 13 where Paul lays it out to the church. That both Jew and Gentile would have a new identity, a singular identity. And in verse 5, 
that I just read, this is what Paul means when he says that the mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but is now been revealed to his holy prophets and apostles, holy apostles and prophets. So again, not until Acts 13 was the mystery revealed when he spoke, Paul spoke in the synagogue at Antioch. And again, the Jews raised after him speaking there, and they ran him out of town. It was a threat to them. Just a side note, so you'll know about apostles and prophets. Apostles, there were only 13 New Testament apostles. You had the original 12, minus Judas, then he was replaced by Matthias, plus Paul. All these 13 men had seen the resurrected Christ. Once they died, apostleship is gone biblically. Prophets, they certainly were Old Testament prophets. They spoke of God. They were the voice piece of God. And in the New Testament, there is a gift of prophecy, those who teach and preach what God's word has already revealed, not something new because the canon is closed. So when he speaks here, he's speaking of New Testament apostles, and prophets. So sort of back to the text here. The Old Testament saints, here's the reality, okay? Here's the mindset that, we, that we've got to put ourselves in in order to see why it was so hard. The Old Testament saints could never in their wildest imagination see what you and I are a part of today as God's church. They cannot see the death of theocracy of Israel. Even, we know this reading the book of Acts, even the Jewish believing leaders at the time had a hard time with this. Paul actually confronted Peter, remember, and Peter repented. It's huge tension. But it's so encouraging for me. It was so, it's so encouraging for us that we are part of God's great eternal secret the church. I want you to know, no matter your church experience here on this earth, God highly values his church, his bride. It is his ordained vehicle where he does his work on earth. She may be messy and unfaithful, but he loves her greatly. Paul used a similar language to talk about this mystery. Listen to Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of what? The mystery that was kept secret for long ages. There it is again. Colossians 1, 24 through 27. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake, he's in prison as he's writing this. Why he's in prison? He is in prison, prison for preaching this message of unity, the mystery of the church message between Jew and Gentile. He says, I rejoice in suffering for preaching this message for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known 
to make the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, known to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is that beautiful or what? So, in the mystery of the church, God has, man, how do I put this? God has obliterated and destroyed all that separated the Jew and Gentile, made them one, made them this, this one comprehensive community called the people of God, chosen for the glory of God. Here's how Paul would describe it again in Galatians 3.28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So now there is neither Jew nor what? Greek. There is neither slave nor what? There is no male nor what? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling you, if you're a believer, no matter your ethnicity, that your being in union with Christ and with other brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter their ethnicity, trumps every time the race or ethnicity that you were born with. Man, our country needs to hear that. The people of God need to hear that and live it. Lastly, Paul details this oneness in our last point, the privileges of the mystery. Look at verse 6. It says, this mystery is... now." So. I love Paul. Sometimes he's so confusing, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to confront him when I get to heaven. I'm sure he's shaking right now in his long angelic robe. But this is so clear. Like this is a Jeff Patton kind of verse. He says, this mystery is. I can get that. What's coming next is the definition of the mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles and fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Man, we don't realize how revolutionary this is to the audience that first heard it. It's mind-blowing to the readers of the day. The first thing Paul says is they are heirs together, or as he puts it, fellow heirs. It is a restating, if you would, of Ephesians 2.14 that says, who has made us both one, means they have the same legal status as a Jew, which results in receiving the same inheritance in Christ. Secondly, the second privilege, is he says there are members together, or as he puts it, members of the same body, that both believing Jews and Gentiles in the same body of Christ, and we must remember that the growth of that body whose head is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the healthy growth of that body depends upon how the Jew and Gentile horizontally live that out, as he's going to talk about later in chapter 3. So crucial. It means that Jews and Gentiles have the same family status, that Gentiles aren't the red-headed stepchild. They're not second-class citizens. They're not that distant cousin that you don't really speak of. And Paul puts it like this previously in Ephesians 2, 
He's in verses 21 and 22. He says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are, are in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. So members together. And then lastly, this privilege of partakers together, as Paul puts it, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This word partakers means to cast one's lot in. It means, as Debo would, Sweeney would say, be what? All in with someone. The reason is Gentiles, Paul is saying here, as he says partakers together, they have the same spiritual status as a Jew. That together... Equally, they share in all of Christ's promises to his people. They share equally in eternal security in Christ. They share equally in eternal life in Christ. And they share equally in the future glory with Christ. So the mystery of the church that was hidden for ages until the resurrected Christ is no longer hidden. It declares this glorious plan hidden for ages but is in now full force that every nation and tribe and tongue will be represented in eternity because of it if they place their trust in the Messiah. It all happens through the gospel. Our sins are forgiven. We are righteous in his sight. Hell and death and the devil have been conquered. That's the vertical truth. Can everybody say amen to the vertical truth? Okay. Now, here comes the horizontal truth. If that's true, and it is, between us and God and between Jew and Gentile spiritually, what Paul's going to pray for is what I'm going to ask you to start applying and praying for even today as he goes into verse 14. That that would be lived out horizontally. So let me just give you three options this morning. One is racism needs to be dead in the church. Dead is a doornail. Now, even without this hidden mystery that was revealed, okay, it should be dead anyway based on everybody being made in the image of God, everybody. But this just puts icing on the cake. This puts a stake in the ground. Racism is dead. And, and the reality is the church for years and still at times does, it's dropped the ball in this area because it doesn't know its Bible. But also, it was the church that didn't drop the ball, who didn't know their Bible, that actually stopped the slave trade here in America and around the world. We need to be that kind of church. It's a beautiful picture. Secondly, man, getting closer to home right here. It's so true for me. And we need to have patience and grace and love to each other. I have heard so much as a pastor of a church. People tell me I'm going to a church and I got hurt. And it's legitimate, right? But I want to tell you, I want to I wipe away all your Disneyland little thoughts about Fellowship Bible Church. Okay, If you stay here long enough, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. And if you stay here a really long time, you're going to hurt somebody. I know that. I'm looking at some of y'all who've hurt me. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. 
I mean, it's just part of being human, right? You can't live without people and you can't live with them. Just look, go back to this text and say, when I hurt or when I am hurt, I'm going to live out this and I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to grab a friend. I'm going to go to the elders. Because if you leave here because you were hurt, you just go into another church where they're going to hurt you. And it's called church hopping. I'd like to draw a cartoon of that. I don't know what it would look like. Man, work through it. And then lastly, I th- what I thought about in this passage is we're getting to a point in our culture where preaching the exclusivity of Christ and salvation, that he is the only way to God, is sort of our the thing that causes people to lose their mind in this world. Are we willing to preach that message compassionately and boldly and courageously, no matter if they put us in jail? Paul said, I'm in jail because I'm preaching the gospel. And more specifically, this union between Jew and Gentile, and I rejoice in it. If you hear that I'm in jail... I pray to the good Lord it's because I was preaching the exclusivity of Christ and not something else I'm very capable of. So this morning, I want you to take a few minutes and I want you to ask the question, so what, in this seemingly vanilla but beautiful passage about the unity, the mystery of the church. Stand with me this morning, if you would. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We are grateful that you hear our prayers, that we have access to you because of the shed blood of Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd really help us see this great work you've done to kill the hostility between man and you through the cross, therefore killing the hostility between Jew and Gentile. I pray that we would be a people at Fellowship Bible Church that would be a great light into the world. We don't have worldly solutions. We don't want worldly solutions for 
fleshly, worldly problems. We want to bring the gospel to bear in how we live uh, with others. We're grateful for that. Maybe even help us, Lord, with our friends, with our spouses, with our kids to think about what you've done to make us one and then help us to live that out as Paul is going to pray about earlier. We love you. We are grateful for your intervention in our life. We're grateful to be your people for such a time as this, to be a part of the church, to be a part of who you are and what you're doing in the world. I'm grateful this morning for today being with us and hear Edward's story. Those two examples even just show us that what you're doing around the world. You are at work and that will culminate in your return and we will get to see in all its glory all that you have done. And we love you and everyone said, Amen.